Okay, if you have Bibles with you, please open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. I can tell you what, God is so good. We began our journey into the Gospel of John way back on November 10th, 2013. Now, since that time, we, we kind of went in and out of John a little bit. We took a few breaks here and there. Um, uh, but more often than not, we were in the Gospel of John. So here we are two years later in chapter 20 on Easter Sunday. This is, we're, we're up to the, the, the account of the resurrection on Easter Sunday. I, I have to be honest with you, I did not orchestrate it this way. I, you know, I thought we were going to do it last week, but then we had the folks from uh, uh, World Vision here. And um, initially I thought, oh, they're only going to speak for a few minutes and I would do a normal Sunday thing. And but then when I looked at their materials, I was like, oh, this is going to take really all the time. And as it turns out, we didn't get to chapter 20 until, until today. And so I didn't orchestrate it. It's totally a God thing. And I got to tell you, little things like this encourage me. You know? It makes me feel like that uh, we are actually aligned with the timing of God. Right? You see these little pieces come together. And so um, I, I do have an Easter message for you this morning. Um, it's going to be a brief message. I'm aware. I'm sensitive to the fact that uh, some of you have family uh, stuff to attend. Uh, people travel on Sun Easter Sundays ago and gather with family. And so let, let me offer a few insights before I send you on your, on your way. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2 of John chapter 20. So why don't you follow along as I read those verses to you. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Lord, I thank you for your word, for the truth that's in your word, for the power and authority that's in your word. Use me today, O oh God, to speak your word to your people in a way that's life-giving to them. Lord, let this be the end result of the time that we share in your word. Make us to be more like Jesus. Amen? Amen. So here in these first two verses of chapter 20, we have the beginning of John's account of the resurrection. John takes us, uh, it, rather we have John's take here on what we nowadays refer to as Easter. John tells us that Mary Magdalene was the first to visit Jesus' tomb early on the first day of the week that Sunday morning. Luke offers a, a, a few extra details. Chapter 1, Luke 24 says, Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Luke is rather generic. He just says, the women. Matthew in 28, verse 1, tells us that after the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went uh, to look at the tomb. So Matthew offers a little bit more detail than Luke, saying that it was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Well, Mark tells us just who this other Mary was. In Mark 16:1, he says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Siloam, brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. So, for a moment... I'd like to focus on Mary Magdalene. She seems to be a, a key player here on Easter Sunday morning, on the day of the resurrection. Who is 
uh, Mary Magdalene. In the same, in the same way that Jesus is called a Nazarene in reference to his hometown, so is Mary called Magdalene. She's from the town of Magdala. Um, Magdala was a thriving, densely populated town on the coast of Galilee, maybe about three miles from Capernaum. Scripture really offers no record of Mary's parents or her marital status or even her age. Um, the fact that she's quite free from the gospel account, she's free to follow Jesus where he goes on his journey suggests that maybe she had no family obligations. Maybe there was no extended family that she had responsibility for or, or some um, relational entanglements that would keep her uh, busy at home. She was able to travel around and be with Jesus. We do know that she's here at the tomb on Easter morning, just like she was at the cross a few days earlier. John 19, 25 tells us that near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, uh, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So here we have Mary. She's, she's the, the first at the tomb, or one of the first at the tomb. On Easter Sunday morning, she was also at the cross. Now concerning Mary, Luke gives us probably a, a biggest glimpse into who she is. In Luke chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, informs us that she traveled with Jesus and uh, that she was delivered from seven demons. It tells us in those two verses after this. Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Some argue that Mary Magdalene, some theologians, some Bible commentators, they they argue that Mary Magdalene was the same woman who Jesus anointed, who the same woman who anointed Jesus with perfume and dried his feet with her hair while he was having dinner at a Pharisee's house, no less, uh, a chapter earlier. So in Luke chapter 7, uh, this woman anoints Jesus' feet. Uh, in chapter 8, I just read those two verses for you. It begins, it says, after this. Jesus traveled from one town to another. After, when you say after this, the this that's after is that he was at this Pharisee's house and this woman was uh, anointing him and then drying his feet with her hair. And so it makes, I think it's interesting that that takes place in chapter 7 and then in chapter 8 it lists who travels with Jesus. It doesn't specifically say that the woman who anointed him is Mary Magdalene, but some, some think so. Others believe that Mary Magdalene is a woman who was caught in adultery. Remember when the, the Pharisees were trying to set Jesus up and they, they catch this woman in the very act of adultery. It always gets me. They, they drag her out. Where was the guy? You know, she, she wasn't doing this by herself, right? She was caught in the very act. And they, they want to stone her. And Jesus spares her life. So some think that Mary Magdalene is, is the one whose life was literally saved by Jesus. Um, from being stoned to death, uh, and that she may as well be the one who did anoint his feet with oil and dry his, his feet with her hair. Uh, it would fit, I mean, that she would love him that much and be, you know, be, that, um, be that passionate after Jesus. 
Um, I think those are plausible, in my opinion. However, on both those accounts, if she's the woman who has caught in the act of adultery or the one who anointed his feet, Scripture's unclear on those accounts. But I think it's plausible. This we do know for certain. Mary loved Jesus. She absolutely loved him. Jesus had indeed set her free from seven demons. You'd love him too if you were living under such torment and, and was set free. And we know this for a fact. She was present at two of the most significant events in all of human history, the cross and the resurrection. She was, she was there for both of them. And so, ladies, I want to encourage you this morning. You know, for far too long, I've been a Christian a long time. I know most of you guys have as well. For far too long, in my experience, women in the church have been treated like second-class citizens, that somehow um, you're not supposed to speak in church or you're not supposed to have leadership roles. And for the life of me, it just boggles my mind why, why we would impose these type of restrictions and limitations on half of the army of God, right? Based purely on gender. I mean, from his birth to his death to his resurrection, in the, in the story of Jesus' life, women played an intricate part. They were intricate participants in Jesus' earthly ministry. You know, just a profound role to play. And they followed him just like the twelve did. So women weren't second-class citizens to Jesus then. And ladies, I want you to know, if you still have any remnant of a doubt, it seems like this is finally dying away, but in some places it still rears its ugly head. Not here, though. Not here. Women were not second-class citizens to Jesus then, and ladies, you are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of God today. I agree with Paul, who so boldly declares... In Galatians 3, verses 26 to 28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Ladies, gentlemen, as, as I've heard it said many times, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Right? We, don't have, we don't have distinctions based upon what a person's gender could be. I, I got to tell you, throughout my whole journey, and, and I'm coming up on 40 years as a Christian, from the very beginning, God has, has used strong, gifted female leaders um, in my life. They've had a profound influence in in, uh, in shaping and molding who God uh, created me to be as a man, as a, as a Christian leader, as a pastor. I'm, I'm eternally grateful. And I move today as I read the account of Easter Sunday morning that here we have Mary Magdalene uh, who's playing a significant role. She'll, in these two verses, she'll, as I expound on it the next, the next few weeks, the rest of chapter 12, you'll see that she has a continuing uh, role. Uh, throughout the rest of the resurrection story. But here today in verses 1 and 2, it's Mary who goes to the tomb, expecting, prepared, and expecting to complete the burial preparation uh, now that the, the Passover Sabbath is over. There was a crunch of time, right? They, the Pharisees wanted to get this crucifixion in before the Passover ceremony. They wouldn't mess up their, their high holy day and and as a result, um, Jesus' burial was somewhat of a rushed affair between Nicodemus and jo Joseph of Arimathea. 
So the scripture tells us that, that Mary and, and some of her friends, they arrive early uh, after the Sabbath with spices. They want to continue, they want to complete and finish the uh, ceremonial burial rites that were common to the, to the Jewish culture at the day. Instead, when she gets there, what does she discover? That the tomb is empty. Guys, the tomb is empty. We, we serve a God who's alive, who's not dead. Hell, death, and the grave had lost their grip. They had no hold on our Jesus. So, so with that, by way of introduction, what is Easter? What is it that we celebrate um, on this day? Well, Easter is the most uh, important, and it's the highest holy day of the, the Christian church. Arguably greater than even Easter and Pentecost. Easter is an extremely significant day in church history. It's an extremely significant day in human history. Because in it we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Most places, um, Easter is, is probably the most well-attended uh, service of the year. And if that's the case for you today, boy, really happy uh, that you're with us and that you decide to spread, spend your uh, Easter Sunday with us. Thank you uh, for being with us today. We wholeheartedly welcome you. So what did, what did Easter accomplish? What did the resurrection accomplish? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it changes everything. It's a huge game changer. The death of Jesus is one thing, profound, significant, that he would take uh, the penalty for our sins, that he would take the, the cure for the cancerous sin within us. Profound what Jesus did. But being raised from the dead is greater even still. Understand this. <laughs> when your enemies kill you and you rise from the dead, you win. <laughs> There's nothing that they can do to come against you, right? It's one thing for them to kill you, but when you rise from the dead, that's the ultimate victory, right? It's not a game changer, it's the game changer. The resurrection is, is key to the power of Christianity. In fact, the resurrection of Christ achieved many powerful things. Let me just list a few of them for you. First off, the resurrection affirms all that Jesus said. The truth about everything that Jesus taught, taught us depends upon and is proved by the resurrection. It gives, it gives unwavering authority to his words, especially his own prediction that he would conquer the grave. From Mark 8.31, Jesus said, and then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. This is what Jesus taught. He taught it, he prophesied it, he proclaimed it, and he did it. He didn't make these outrageous claims that had nothing to back it up. backed up his words with action. He told them that he would be killed and rise from the dead three days later. And that's exactly what he did. In John 11, I don't think you have this up there yet, 25, just before, Jesus, uh, just before raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus boldly declares, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And then to back up his claim, he goes and he raises Lazarus from the, from the dead. 
And then we see it again on Easter Sunday morning. He proved his bold I am statement that I am the resurrection and the life by overcoming hell, death, and the grave and raising to life after the crucifixion. So we celebrate this Easter Sunday morning that Jesus keeps his word. The resurrection of Christ validates both his message and his message, his, his mission. The resurrection, the resurrection confirms who Jesus is. He's not merely another martyred, martyred teacher. In fact, the fact that he conquered death confirms that he is indeed our promised Messiah. The resurrection verifies his lordship and provides proof of his deity. The person and the work of Christ are ratified and confirmed by his rising from the grave. The resurrection vindicates Christ's suffering and death. Jesus died intentionally. He laid down his life for us to purchase our salvation. He did not die in vain. And we can... <coughs> We can know that his death has saving power on our behalf. Because the resurrection proves that his mission was fully accomplished. In the resurrection, Jesus conquered death for us. Like I just read from John eleven twenty five, 25. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Because Jesus rose from the grave, death no longer has a hold. On you or I, he completely conquered hell, death, and the grave. And the resurrection frees us from our sins. Romans 6, 5, and 7 tells us, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Because he lived, we live because he died. We died because he rose, we rise. For we know that our old selves were crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sins, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Listen to me. We died with Christ. We were raised with Christ. Sin has no power. It has no power over a dead person. Because of the resurrection, we now walk freedom. And the resurrection of Christ from the dead accomplished so much more. I could go on and on and on just to list a few things. It defeated, it utterly defeated Satan. The resurrection honors humanity in an unparalleled, unprecedented way. What God did, the power he, he displayed because of his great love for us. It demonstrates the uniqueness of Christianity over every other faith. We serve a living God. There's no tomb that we could go to. There's no memorial set up where there are the dead bones of some great moral teacher or someone who is claimed to be a deity on earth. Our God's alive. He's, he's not dead. Unlike every other false God, our God's alive. It gives us hope. I can only imagine 
what it must have been like that first Easter Sunday morning. How many of you have gone through very difficult and trying circumstances in your life? I think about the disciples and I think about the women who followed Jesus like Mary Magdalene and the others. They've been following him for three years. He's their close friend. He loves them. They love him. Their whole world is built around him. And overnight, without warning, everything falls apart. Every hope that they had, every expectation they had just crumbles. And here is this man that they love and they revere and they follow is arrested and beaten and put to death in a matter of hours. They, they had to be shell-shocked. They had to be. And then for three days, they, they had to be grieving and mourning. It could, it could be no other way. They're probably in hiding, fearing for their lives. And, and now to complete their mourning and to satisfy their grief, the ladies come. And they're going to prepare them for burial. And then, and then again, everything changes. The resurrection gives us hope. No matter what our circumstances, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, it's not the end of the story. Even, even death itself is not the end of the story. Even though the powers that be can be aligned against you and use all of their influence and political power to bring you down, even if they were to kill the, the body, it's not. For a believer of Jesus Christ, it is not the end of the story. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in today, let, let the account of the resurrection give you hope that you've not reached the end of your story, that there is still more. There's always more, God. There's hope. The resurrection gives us hope. And most importantly, it restores a once lost relationship from way back in the garden. The purpose of it all was relationship. And God loves you, and he loves me enough to send his son to live the life he lived, to die on our behalf, but that not being the end of the story, the raise to life. And in it, give us this message that we can be raised up into life, into a life-giving relationship with a God that scripture tells us is rich in mercy and loves us with a great and a lavish love. Guys, the resurrection is absolutely essential to our faith. Author, theologian, N.T. Wright says this concerning the resurrection. It says, should we remove the resurrection, the Christian message would, be com would completely unravel. Christianity is a resurrection movement. I wholeheartedly agree. So what does this mean for you today? What does Easter Sunday mean for you? It means that God loves you more than you ever imagined. It means that God's not mad at you. God is mad about you. <laughs> He's crazy about you. He loves you. He loves all you guys. But listen to me, each individual, he loves you. I have very good news for you today. And I think there's at least a handful of people that desperately need to hear this this morning. God is not angry with you. Do you realize 
that he that who he is is vastly beyond our understanding of anger in a relationship that he is so grand he is so great he is so perfect and purely holy that there's no place for that inside of him when he looks at you he sees you through the eyes of perfect love and he doesn't see you for who you are right now he sees the end of your story he hasn't put a bookmark in this chapter and said this is where you'll stay forever he knows the end of your journey and when he looks at you today he's not angry he's not disappointed in you he knows what's yet to come even though you may feel like Good Friday, he sees your Easter Sunday. Even though it may feel like you're, you're in the midst of embracing the cross, he sees you as resurrected. He's not angry with you. He's not at all disappointed in you. He knew who you were before he formed you in your mother's womb. He called you by name before he knit you together in your mother's womb. He knew who you were, and he knew all the stupid things that you and I would do in our lives before he sought us out. Even as we ran from him, he chased us down. He's that good. He's that loving. He's so amazing. He's so immense. He's so big. You know, there's, we, there's nothing we can bring to the table. It's, I can't come to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, I've got 27 units of goodness. And if you would just give me the other 63 units, is that right? The other 73 units of goodness, well, then we'd have a full set here. I got nothing to bring to the table. I am who I am, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly. And, it's, and he brings everything to the table. He comes, and all the chips are in. This is, what, this is what the message of Christmas is, of Easter is. He put all the chips on the table. He's all in to win us. Does that make sense? This is good news. It's not a matter of being how good you can be. Because no matter how good we could be, it's not enough. It's not about performance with him. That's why when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He did it all. It's totally complete. It's all on his, it's all on his credit card. He paid the whole debt. Too many of us have believed the lie that if we could just be good enough, God loves us. And that's absolutely in reverse. It's when we are confident and secure in the reality of his extravagant, unfathomable love for us, then goodness is the fruit of living a life secured in love. So he's not angry with you guys. He's not disappointed in you. He's certainly not poised to judge you harshly. It's not like he's standing over you with a hammer, waiting to drop it on the top of your head. That's not who he is. If there was any role that he would play, any role that Jesus would play, is he took the hit. If he saw the hammer coming for you, he stood in the gap on your behalf to take the hit for you. Like any good husband would do for his wife or father for his children. He'd take the hit. No one would ever get to Nadine unless they had to go to me first. And I'm just a guy. Could you imagine what matchless, perfect, pure, holy, unfathomable love would do? Well, you can read it. He did it on the cross. He's not angry with you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not ready to judge you. 
God, our God is a kind and a loving Heavenly Father who cares for each of you more than you could possibly imagine. This is the wonder. This is the, the message. This is the truth of the resurrection. Jesus is the perfect representation of God the Father on earth. And for many of us, that's just an absolute mind-blowing game changer. I've said it before, it's worth repeating now. Most of us have seen Jesus as the good one and the Father is the mean one. Holy Spirit is the weird one. But I gotta tell you this morning that if your picture of the Father looks anything different than Jesus, then you need a new picture of the Father. Because Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father on earth. That the Father loves you just in the exact same way that Jesus loves you. It's not that the Father is less loving and Jesus is more loving. God, Scripture tells us that God is love. It's the, it's, the, it's the fullness of the essence of who God is. It's his nature. It's his substance is love. There's nothing other in him besides love. There's not even a lesser love in him that somehow we could experience. He's all love all the time. He's love on full max, the volume all the way up, full power, full power love at all time. That's who our God is. That's how he feels about you. Now let me rock your world a little bit more. That's how he feels about you on your best day, and it's how he feels about you on your worst day. That's how he feels about me when I preach an awesome service, a sermon or when I crash and burn. I've done both. <laughs> His love for me is unwavering. He loves me the same if I'm being a good husband and father this week or if I'm being a terrible husband and father this week. His love is not dependent upon my actions or my behavior. He did everything. And it's only when I'm able to recognize His great love for me that I can even begin to emulate him. Scripture says that we love because he first loved us. Guys, this is good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is amazingly good news. So if we have a picture of the Father that's anything other than Jesus, then we need a new picture of the Father because it's inaccurate. I have good news for you this Easter Sunday morning. God sees you as his sons and his daughters. The scripture tells us that he is rich in mercy and that he loves with a great love and he loves you lavishly with that great love. So John, would you come up and lead us in a final song? Why don't we stand and pray? Lord, your word says that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. My prayer today, Lord, as the pastor of the Charlottetown Vineyard, is that you would reveal this truth to us today, that you would break through all the lies of the enemy, that you would break through all the conditionings of culture and, and uh, that you'd break through, Lord, the, the, the layers and the layers upon layers of religion that have somehow distorted the image of who you are. Lord, I pray this morning that each of us would know the truth and that it would set us free, that we would know the truth about who you are, of who you actually are. Lord, that we would know the truth of your great love for us. 
Lord, that we would know the full impact and truth of what the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead accomplished and what it means for us. Oh, God, I pray today that you give us a new picture of the Father, that we'd see you for who you really are, and that we would believe what your word says about the way that you love us. Set us free today, Lord. Set us free concerning who you are. Set us free, oh God, concerning who you say that we are. Lord, set us free until we realize just how amazing your love for, is for each of us. Each and every one of us. Do it, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The quiet, the stillness I 